at wherever you're weak, I think you want to outsource just like in business as much as possible. If you are the coach that's in charge of four different things, if you can't outsource that weight room, make sure you're learning, studying, reading something to make sure you're giving your athletes something useful. And the difference between power and strength is the time variable. How quickly can I move this weight? If we can create that culture and create that buy-in early on, at least earlier on in the year, I think that'll definitely pay off in the season. If you don't know, always do less than you think you should do. Just make sure you're giving your guys the best opportunity to succeed in the fall and, and develop. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners. The rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Garth and Harold. <laughs> Guys, just wanted to let you know we we did this during the summer. It was a great episode for us, and uh, you know, Bo and I just sat down and really tore into uh, what summer looked like. So on this episode, we're going to tear into fall, what that looks like, what you know, the weights. We're going to tear into um, the practice plans. We're going to tear into uh, concepts of building culture and etc. We're going to dive into a whole bunch of things, and we're excited to come to you guys again. Pull up a seat. Grab your notepad. Here's Garth and Harold. Welcome back to the farm system. We're excited to sit down with you guys again. Um, our last episode, you know, we really dove into uh, some of the summer stuff. And now this episode, we're, me and Bo are going to be diving through um, a lot of the fall and how that looks. So, Bo, why don't you kind of open us up, um, you know, maybe your experience on what you had during the fall um, when you played. And, you know, I'll kind of go into mine and then we'll kind of give advice uh, for coaches going forward. Yeah, for me, you know, the fall was utilized as more as an assessment period early on in the fall. You know, Utah Valley, they had a better idea of the type of athletes we were. So it wasn't as quite of an in-depth as an assessment, but use it more of to see where we were at physically. We had like a like a condition test. I think a lot of um, college programs probably have some type of conditioning test to see where your baseline's at. Utah Valley, we actually had to pass the test in order to practice. So physically, that's kind of what we did. Uh, used it to really get stronger, quicker, faster. And then we kind of got placed into groups depending on our athleticism. As I know, you know, Joey, Division One, they have different constraints. So the first part of the fall, we were a lot more group work when it comes to hitting and fielding, things like that. But um, they, they really used the first, oh, I'd say month to kind of get us in shape, get us to where we were going, um, which I don't know if you had that similar experience at Pine Bluff or, or how Coach um, Carlos did that out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's different, obviously, for all the different levels. And I mean, I don't know what yours was on uh, uh, fall for like high school. High school, I I literally felt like I was all of a sudden, hey, back in the day, it was like uh, a marathon runner or something. Like I was running distance and we were doing abs and 
all these crazy things guys were like almost like trying to like make us quit <laughs> yep. um when i was in high school like our fall was just a whole bunch of running and um kind of prepping things and we were doing a whole bunch of uh just like these random like drills and things i mean it was kind of organized but at the same time too i think it was kind of like this thing where uh, my coaches were also coaching other sports. And so they were kind of like getting us things to do, but not really focused. But again, my high school wasn't too great. But also with that, when I, I remember when I first got to my my JUCO, our first day, we're, uh, as soon as we get there, we do our talk. Uh, we go out there and he's like, he's like, you had all summer to get in shape. And <laughs> we're just running like dogs, man. And uh, he's like, I need you to get from this line to this line a hundred times in 20 seconds. You're like, okay, that's impossible. <laughs> that stuff doesn't make any sense. And so we did some wild stuff in uh, a Juco uh, up there at College of the Siskiyous with uh, Billy. It just, it was funny. I mean, I think it was more, um, again, he knew what kind of athletes he was getting and it was, um, you know, his style of play is like, we kind of, we had to be in shape and um, he was really focused on a lot of conditioning early, especially to, you know, we did, you know, college, a lot of JUCOs in California, obviously they don't have scholarships. So when you first walk into that, there's a lot of guys that come in and maybe they're not as serious and, you know, you got your walk-ons and you have all that stuff too. So I think it's also like a weeding out process, mm-hmm. kind of just going to see who's going to be your dogs, you know, um, yeah. kind of from the beginning and, you know, and then I think everywhere I went, kind of just like you said, though, we did a lot of, uh, we did a lot of, I think at Pine Bluff, we waited a little bit longer for sure. Uh, we did a lot of individual stuff first, but I mean, almost everywhere I played though, we did a lot of scrimmaging early. I mean, is that kind of like what yours was like? You do a lot of scrimmaging early? Utah Valley, we we didn't really, but it's Sterling Dinkle. I think he did it to more to see how competitive we were. Um, mm-hmm. We did do some scrimmages the first probably two weeks and then he used it more for our pitchers to just they basically just throw their pens on the field um fastballs change ups and so it wasn't super competitive but i think he was doing it because he's a big compete guy so he just wanted to see if he had any dogs and then after those first two weeks he really didn't scrimmage again until the arms were ready um but i've definitely heard of that coaches getting in and getting right after right uh, right out of the shoot did you like that or what did you think about that were you like ready to hit life pitching uh, yeah, when I was going into Juco, I was like, when he said, literally it was our first week. He was like, look, we're going to practice all week, but Saturday we have inner squads. I'm like, uh, yeah, like I was pumped. Cause you coming out of high school, you're like, dude, I just want to play, you know, I just, just want to play. I just want to compete. You know, I just want to play the game. Like, you know, I wasn't a big fan of like practicing, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to practice. I just wanted to play. I was younger and, um, I wanted to do that. You know, you just want to prove yourself and you want to compete. And that was kind of the athlete I was. So I was kind of excited for that. One thing that I really liked that we did at Pine Bluff, and it really helped me a lot. Also, too, I think we did a little bit in, in JUCO a little bit. But one thing we used to do is, you know, I know what uh, Carlos meant us to do for sure. He's like, hey, this first week, all you can use is your fastball. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, as a pitcher, you know, first off, it's better for your arm, right? Yeah. You don't have to, like, if you don't have feel for these, some of these other pitches. And But a big thing is also good for your arm in this sense is because if you're a guy that goes out there and just trying to try to blow everybody away, um, that's not going to work when you just have a fastball. You know, so um, he even limited it to like, I was like, okay, well, I mainly throw a cutter. And he's like, nope, I mainly, and I, I mainly threw a cutter. I didn't even really throw a four seam. So when he started making me pitch with, you know, my four seam more mm-hmm. um, and he, he gave us, basically we could only throw a four seam and a two seam, which was rough for me because that wasn't the type of pitcher I was. Yeah. Um, so you could see that as good or bad, you know, like, but again, he wasn't just judging us just straight off that. He was just trying to see, again, teach us how to pitch with one pitch. 
mm-hmm. you know, or, or one or two pitches and it being the fastball, um, both pitches. But again, there is, if it's a two seam, can you take a little off? Can you add a little bit when you need to? And also as hitters, that's also fun too. You get to go up there knowing that they're only throwing fastballs. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time too, um, you know, uh, they're plusing and minusing, and they're also seeing how effective it is as a as a hitter when guys can take a little off and put a little on when they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of cool, and I think that's a like an interesting perspective when you're training guys to learn how to pitch and not just you know throw. Is yeah. if guys are if guys you also learn that subject obviously if you know guys are only throwing fastballs, uh, guys hit pretty well. So mm-hmm. um, it kind of teaches pitchers a lot and also teaches you a lot as a hitter. Um, did you guys kind of do anything um, like that with like pitchers, or is it more? Um, did you guys have everything? It kind of sounded like you guys kind of had everything. And then he, uh, like, I know obviously at Sterling, I was there when we would shut it down kind of from that point. I mean, do you agree with, do you agree with, you know, guys even coming, do you want to like, do you, you almost want to assume yeah, guys aren't ready and kind of protect their arms more or like, what's your opinion on that? For sure. I mean, even Dinkle, he wouldn't let them spin anything. It was just fastball changeup. So basically just varying, uh, velo on the fastball. And then, um, when we were at uh, UVU, even when we got into the scrimmaging portion of the fall, he wouldn't really allow them to throw breaking pitches, even though they were probably ready to. And I mean, I think it's smart as coaches. We want our guys to be ready, but we all know that they're probably not going to work. I mean, there are guys, don't get me wrong. There's guys that put in work, but majority of them, we can't just assume that they did because then that could lead to injuries. So I think it's smart by them. And I loved it as a hitter. I mean, you look up my stats for the fall scrimmages, those first two weeks, I probably hit about 800. And then the last six weeks, I probably hit about 100. So um, <laughs> it, it, it made me feel really good for a few weeks. But um, no, I think it's definitely smart. We can't always assume that our guys are are prepared and ready to go out there and throw right away. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's good for your hitters. You know, you can kind of see where they're at. You know, those guys that didn't play summer ball, you can maybe tell uh, out there hitting those fastballs. But I mean, you know, if you if you can't get your timing down on a straight fastball and you know it's coming um, throughout the course of the week, then we, then we might be in trouble. Yeah, and I was I was also thinking through too. I mean, a big thing too is something that you all these guys have private. It's a lot different nowadays because a lot of guys have private you know places that they go and train. Mm-hmm. So if they go and train at all these private places, like you don't know if like they've been on a shutdown period yeah. or you know how many innings they threw the year before, and you might have a better idea. But I think that just brings into light the how important the communication side of it is. You know, like if these guys show up and they're just like, okay, I want to see what you got and pitch, and it's like also too, I think that shows like a little lapse in like in um, your recruiting process, right? Like mm-hmm. you should already know what these guys have, and you should already kind of know what they're going to produce. So it's almost, I would say more, I can, I would take more of a conservative side of that of like, yeah, I want to see him compete, but we can compete doing a lot of other things. We can compete playing football on the side or kickball mm-hmm. or, you know, wiffle ball or whatever, you know what I'm saying? We could do a whole bunch of things outside of the game. We could compete in the weight room. We could compete in all these different areas. And um, so I think there's some different ways of doing that too. But again, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat, but I think the communication and knowing what's going on with everybody and sitting down and kind of having um, a better idea of what everybody's been doing throughout the summer, especially if they're not like a returner, if they're transferring to you, mm-hmm. um, you know, that communication piece is going to be huge. Cause you know, if they're, if you're, you should have, if they're returning to you, they should be on your, you know, summer lifting program or whatever you design for them to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout that. So you should c- kind of have a better idea of where, where they are but if they're a transfer guy obviously you don't really know much but what is that how about that too i mean obviously you know there's a lot of coaches especially at lower levels man you know those guys those are guys for the the hitting coach the pitching coach the infielding coach the lifting coach the speed and agility coach the mental coach the 
um, you know, all of those things. So um, the dad to most of the players. So what, when it looks to those things and a lot of these guys running their own lifting programs, I mean, kind of what's, uh, what are some things that you kind of experienced throughout those different levels? And, um, you know, what are some things that you liked and some things you didn't like? You know, it's kind of funny. I was actually talking to the guy that we played with Sterling. He's uh, took a job NAI level and same thing, you know, he's like, Hey man, I'm, I'm the pitching coach, but I'm also the, the weightlifting coach. What should I do? And a lot of these coaches have so many responsibilities and it's not that they don't know. It's just that they just don't have a background in it. So th- the thing I liked about it, Sterling is at least they gave us more of an onboarding period to where we weren't pushing a lot of weight right out the chute, you know, coming from Utah Valley where we had, you know, a, a specific strength coach, the workouts we did at Sterling were obviously I knew probably weren't going to be as beneficial right away. Um, but at the same time, the guy had enough of an idea to not hurt us to where we were just coming out doing four by four squat first week. One thing I did like that they did there is they tracked our progress throughout the fall, even at Sterling. You'd have the baseline testing basically every six weeks to gauge, hey, are these workouts getting us any progress or do we need to change something up or what? But I, I also think something that needs to be considered is the type of kids you have coming down from Utah Valley where we pushed some serious weight and everybody competed in the weight room every single day. The culture wasn't quite set at Sterling to really get better in the weight room, if that makes sense. Um, the, the year you were there when you came in in 16, it was a lot better because we took more control. Um, but I think that's can kind of what happened at some of those lower levels. If there's not a a strength coach, cause it's kind of hard, you know, if you go to practice and, and then the same coach that you see at practice is at study hall and that same coach is at weights. You kind of, I mean, you love your coaches, but you're kind of like, man, I can only see so much, so many times during the day. So I think it's big for those kind of coaches to set the tone early in the fall. Um, this is how it's going to be in the weight room. This is how it's going to be here. This, this is how it's going to be there. But once again, I, I didn't really play that junior college level. So I don't know how it was done there. I think you can give the listeners more insight on that, um, which I don't even know. I, I don't think we've really talked about that at what you guys did at Siskiyou's. Um, but it, was it something similar like that at Sterling? Mm, it was different. I was there. I was that three-year transfer guy. So it was definitely different throughout the years. I think they actually – they let me, I was, I think I was a big contributor to kind of changing what it, from where it was to when I left. Cause I was like, I had a good relationship with my coach. So I kind of give them feedback on, you know, I, again, I was from my Academy in Vegas and uh, we did things a little bit differently. So I'd kind of give them feedback. And I was, I was one of those guys, like I put on, I put, I put on about 30 pounds my first year. Mm-hmm. So like I put on a, a pretty good amount of weight and again, not all straight muscle, you know, but I, I put on, <laughs> that was my main focus was putting on weight. And, um, you know, and I, I put on quite a, quite a few pounds and also too, with that also being said, that may also sound extreme, but if you also put into that too, that I was 17 until a month in the college, like I was still maturing too. Mm-hmm. So you add all those factors together um, with those things as well. But so they kind of listened to me on that side. Cause I really took advantage of the weight room the first year, but honestly, mm-hmm. it was kind of like we would set up times. I, if I remember correctly, my first year, I think we all had to be in a weightlifting class, like in our uh, coach was, a uh, you know, hosted one of those, like hosted a whole bunch of them throughout the day. And we had to be enrolled in one of those classes, I'm pretty sure. And that's kind of how we did it. And then also too, I mean, it wasn't, you know, kind of like during the season and stuff. I don't really remember, you know, like we, he would more run it like, um, 
we would do a whole bunch of like endurance, stuff, like, like a lot of circuit stuff. Yeah. So I didn't really like it that, that much. Cause I wasn't a big circuit fan, but I get it. You got a lot of athletes. You're trying to get them to work, make sure they don't put on too much weight, especially when it's cold outside guys like, to, you know, they kind of pack on a couple pounds. And mm-hmm. so I kind of get that stuff. And again, you're kind of doing with what you got and we have a smaller gym and you know, you got some constraints on you. Um, but also with that being said, you know, kind of as we, we went out, I remember my last year, they organized it more where we just had an hour in the morning. And then we kind of get in there and we can get after whatever we wanted to get after. And there might be, I know there's certain days or certain things they wanted us to do, but um, a lot of times, you know, as long as we were all staying busy and getting after whatever we wanted to, they kind of gave us the freedom to do our own stuff, which I liked because I want, I wanted to do my own thing, you know? And so, and especially too, I mean, I think that takes a lot of, you know, humility in that sense. They know that they didn't have a, you know, a crazy, you know, grasp on, on the weight room side. So instead of making us, do those things. And they also saw a lot of benefit of some of the other things we were doing by lifting heavy. And, you know, those previous years, uh, they had some success with that. So they definitely were kind of rolling with that more going forward and depending on like their senior leadership to kind of just make sure everybody was, uh, or I guess you'd say sophomore leadership at JUCO, uh, that, you know, these guys were kind of just making sure everybody was kind of, you know, held accountable now as, you know, I'm not a big fan of some of the stuff. I mean, I know everything is based off of a lot of guys like to go off one rep maxes, and I think that's great. Uh, the problem is, is a lot of guys aren't ready uh, to do one rut maxes. Um, even if you spend five weeks of getting them ready, which a lot of places don't even do that. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of guys like they're going to do a one rep max. And, you know, a lot of these guys are going to hurt themselves. Like I was a crazy competitor. So if you tell me to go one rep max, I'm going to do as heavy as I could. Like I remember when I got, you know, Carlos James, I know you're listening, baby. But also when it, with those things, I know when I first got there for Pine Bluff, you know, uh, one of the first things we did is we, you know, and they sent me a summer program. So to be fair, they sent me a summer program of what we were supposed to be lifting. But also with that also being said, um, I had never deadlifted in my life, mm-hmm. you know, so Coming in, you know, uh, I had been doing some of those workouts, but I also had a trainer back home, you know, mm-hmm. that I've been using for the last three years. And all of a sudden, you know, they just, uh, they rolled out a workout to me, which, you know, obviously I did a lot of those things, but I also mixed in a lot of things that worked for me previously, you yeah. know? So, you know, I had never at that point when I first went to Pine Bluff, like I was doing, you know, like, like modified some modifications, some, you know, variability when it comes to le- deadlifts. But at that point I had never deadlifted from the front, uh, the floor yet, because my trainer thought I wasn't ready, which I wasn't, I didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of flexibility. I didn't have a lot of mobility in my hips. I couldn't get myself in good positions. Um, you know, also to my, my core wasn't strong enough to pick up a lot of weight in the front. Like I, um, I could do lower levels, but so when I first got there, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I still pulled like, um, 360 or something like that at the time, mm-hmm. um, for not like really deadlifting. And then uh, by the end of the year, I made some crazy jumps. Like, I think I was like, 425 or something like that after that year so i made some crazy jumps but again that that's a big jump because i've never deadlifted previously so i think there's a big you know some stuff to say about that obviously um you know there there isn't i don't i obviously just with my team last year as well i think i talked to you about this we didn't one rep max the entire year Mm -hmm. you know we had a we had a, a lot of younger guys i felt like they weren't ready um they couldn't you know they can't even do a goblet squat they can't even do some of these basic movements, you know, we definitely, um, we deadlifted throughout the year, but, uh, we never put it this way. There was few guys on my team last year that ever got the deadlift from the floor. So if, if you're not aware, yeah. And I, I didn't want to, you know, like if you're not aware, I kind of wanted to dive into that for the real quick with the deadlift stuff and why that's kind of important is that there's a lot of guys and, and Bo and I used to talk about this is there's a lot of guys that, you know, obviously as they get lower, 
uh, to the ground. It's just like a deep squat. Those guys that can't deep squat with good form. Um, and if you don't know what you're really looking for there, um, you know, I think you need to go back to what the basis of coaching is like your job is to have them perform on the field. That is your main job. Them performing on the field. You're not there for them to be Olympic athlete lifters. They're not there to be the weight room is supposed to be in addition to what they're doing on the field, not uh, something that keeps them from the field or et cetera. So, you know, when it comes to those things, my goal last year was for our guys to get stronger, but for nobody to get hurt. I didn't mm-hmm. want one guy to get hurt um, because we're lifting. Like, I just think that's a dumb area to get like, if we're going to get hurt, let's get hurt on the baseball field. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to get hurt doing something that is not baseball specific. Like, it transfers, the weight room does transfer, and there is some things. And again, not every exercise in the weight room transfers. So many exercises in the weight room don't transfer. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's another misconception that, oh, we're just going to go in here and lift some weights and that's going to transfer to the game. Um, actually, too, a lot of the um, studies and a lot of things that I'm reading now is how much stuff doesn't transfer uh, to the game, um, especially when it's baseball and it's, you know, uh, you're slamming around 400 pounds on a bar. That's great. But baseball is a highly skilled and fine mo- pattern um you know movements yeah you're doing very fine fine movements you know you slamming around for you know 400 uh, pounds on a bar is a completely different from that mm-hmm. so i think there's there's a lot to be said there um on those side of things as well is is you know i i think you guys can get stronger without putting a bar on the ground we did um if you guys don't know some progressions there for you guys to apply to your lifting programs if you guys haven't looked into rack pulls that's a great first you know more initial workout to do before you do deadlifts also to raising the bar off the ground we also did uh, rack pulls or basically those um uh, what are the, the safeties on the on the racks you deadlift but from the safeties on the racks and a lot of racks obviously it matters how low you can make your racks as well you know we started generally high maybe in the middle of the thigh and just did really you know two three inches of movement boom pick it off the the pick it off the rack and we're firing our glutes and we're getting everything forward. We're staying in good form. And then we slowly went lower and lower. And then we also went, um, some guys went down to, you know, like two, uh, two on the ground, like the rubber 45s they're on the ground and they're deadlifting, um, off of those. So they're still mm-hmm. raised off the platform. And then, you know, I had some guys that were more advanced lifters. So theirs would be different. You know, I'd be like, okay, Hey, once, uh, if you want to go down to the floor, let me see you get, you know, deadlift off of those plates. And then once I approve you and I think your form is good, then you can go to the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but at no point that entire year did we one run max because, you know, guys' bodies weren't ready for that. Um, and we were real young. We got a, we had a real young team, uh, mostly, you know, sophomores and younger. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of changes though. But I mean, what's your your perspective on the one rep maxes? Like, what, what do you feel about those um, pros and cons kind of from those? I think it's, um, I think it has its place there. There could be a value on certain lifts, but even when I was playing at Utah Valley, our, our strength coach trains guys that are in the NFL now, and we hardly ever would ever, uh, just straight up one rep max. A lot of the times we do a three rep max and he wouldn't even let us deadlift. Like we, it'd be a progression like you talked about before, and we'd have to actually get our form checked off before we could throw any weight on the bar. And basically he, we do a bar and then we check off and then we throw a plate on, he'd check us off two plates, check off. So there were some guys that even on max day, they were still had just one plate on the bar because they, their form wasn't good enough. Um, which, which I loved. I mean, I think people that have deadlifted with bad form know how bad that can be for your back, especially as a baseball player, a lot of lower back problems already, 
But as far as upper body goes, we hardly ever one wet maxed. Um, the only time we ever maxed on bench was when we do. I don't know if you've ever used the the two inch blocks you put on your chest. Yeah. We'd we'd run uh, we'd do a, a one rep max with that, so it wasn't really a true uh, bench. But he didn't really like us to one rep. Um, we did a lot of three rep stuff, and I think it that helped mm-hmm. us out a lot. There wasn't a ton of injuries, and the guy that did get injured would do it on their own and one rep max. But it's Sterling. Mm-hmm. It's Sterling. We just weren't prepared. Like you know, I I love the guy that was doing the weights, but we wouldn't even go through a proper warm up, which was different because when i came I'm from uv yeah yeah when yeah. i came from uvu we would take 20 minutes of just stretching and rolling out before we even went into mm-hmm. like our dynamic warm-up and so yeah i mean you, you know we're always behind on that huh yeah <laughs> we yeah. would we would take me and you would sit in an extra 15 minutes mean everybody else is lifting me and you were foam rolling on the ground like old men <laughs> uh, they're making fun of us cons oh the d1 guys can't hang but it's just i mean you know our bodies i i couldn't do that but um I also wasn't as strong as some of those guys. That's just, I wasn't training to, for that kind of strength when I was playing Utah Valley, you know, I was going for more of that functional stuff that will transfer onto the field. I honestly really didn't get that strong until you got there and pushed me, but I was actually my strongest in high school and um, ended up hurting my back. And so I took a few years off, but as far as maxing goes, I, I I'm really not a huge fan um, because a lot of the kids, one, their form's not very good. And two, their bodies just aren't, but you just don't need it necessarily. You know, it looks good for the chicks and, you know, we all want to get big, but a lot of that stuff doesn't always transfer. And I don't want to say always, cause we know that there's kids that, it, that can do that. You know, we played with some dudes that could throw some weight around and go hit the same for me when I was playing my best is when I maybe wasn't my strongest in the weight room, if that makes sense. So I think it's like a lot of us say coaches have to know their players and have to know the type of athletes they have and, and, maybe tailor their workouts around certain guys because I know when I was trying to to make the the weight program as the assistant coach at Sterling, it's tough, man, because a lot of these coaches only have 30 minutes in the weight room. So, you know, what are you going to do? I think a big thing and something that Dinkle did, which is smart, is I think if, again, anywhere, just like a business, like let's take in this, let's say like, again, I have more of a exercise science background, obviously, because that's why I majored in, right? So that's things that I was always really interested in. But also with that being said too, like not every coach is going to major in that, right? And they're not going to, you know, again, maybe they weren't big lifters. At wherever you're weak, I think you want to outsource just like in business as much as possible. So mm-hmm. one thing Dinkle did, again, if you have a guy that's like trying to get his master's or these guys that have a pretty good base, like maybe they, again, they already have the bachelor's in it or they're going for a second uh, master, something more specific or et cetera. Like if you can find guys like that that are willing to come in, they need to do their internship anyways. And again, maybe you have it in your budget to throw them a little cash too on some of these lower level programs. Obviously the bigger programs, they usually already have a strength coach, not an issue. None of this is applies to you. You can just just hit the fast forward, you know, 30 second button here for a second. But for some of these lower programs, you know, like that's a big thing. If you can find guys that it's like a mutual benefit and you can outsource that stuff, that stuff's, you know, really important because, um, again, you're, you just want to operate in your strength areas. If your strength area is on the field, then outsource everything off the field as much as you can. If you can empower somebody else to do it, that's a great, you know, first step to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and with that stuff, I mean, I think that's what kind of made me more of a handful in the weight room too, because, you know, you and I used to do that. I, I know, uh, you know, our guy Sterling used to get, uh, used to say stuff to us sometimes, but sometimes guys would be moving on to their fourth, fifth exercise. And me and you are still on our first exercise. Mm-hmm. But with that also being said, they may only be hitting 
you know, 300 pounds and me and you were up there, you know, at least middle of 400s and we were, you know, actually resting between sets. And I was, you know, when we were, there's different too. I mean, we were just talking about this off, off uh, air, but you know, there's a definitely a big difference between times of the year when you need to do hypertrophy and times of the year when you need to do power and times of the year when you need to get really specific and times of the year when you need to maintain and uh, you kind of need to know where you are per the year. And also too, you got to evaluate what level you're at. Like uh, when, again, coaching a high school last year, we lifted throughout the, uh, throughout this, uh, the year while we were playing, we were still trying to get stronger where when you get older guys, you're more just trying to, if we can maintain where we're at, we're good to go. Where younger guys, it's like, man, I'm, like you guys, uh, those guys can need to continue just to keep lifting and just keep getting stronger throughout that time. I mean, honestly, um, I, don't, I don't really care what you batted when you were a sophomore in high school. Um, so a lot of that stuff, you know, them to get stronger and also too, I mean, what are we preparing them for? Are we preparing for today? Or are we preparing for tomorrow or, you know, years from now? Um, yeah. so I kind of kept that more in mind. I mean, don't get me wrong. We did a soreness test. We would check and be like, okay, Hey man, I'd be like, Hey, like how do your legs feel today? Oh man, my legs are kind of sore. And I would ask a couple more people. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to dial it back a little bit. You know, maybe I need to cut down the volume. I'd take in the volume and I would do the math on how much, you know, stress I'm putting on them and be like, okay, they can handle. So you can calculate all the, every pound of weight that you're doing, like times the weight, obviously the weight times the sets times the reps, right. And you time all that together and you can get a workload. Um, and once you get a workload and you start operating in those workloads, you can collect data, um, of, okay, well, you know, we were working at a 1300 pound workload, uh, the last week, nobody was sore this week. We operated at a 1600 pound sore. So maybe I need to drop it back to, you know, 1500 or 1450 and let's, you know, and then see, or is there nobody sore? Okay, good. And then once everybody gets that, we step it up again or again. And obviously you can't just keep adding and adding. You also have to take in what part of the year, how good you guys been eating. Have you guys been on the road a lot? You know, are you not recovering as well? Um, you know, are you eating on the road a lot? You know, all those things play factors. Um, but during the fall, um, the advice I would hand out there is, you know, there's a lot of, that's a great time to do a lot of uh, hypertrophy sets and hypertrophy. Again, I have to use uh, big exercise science word. Uh, it's really simple. Basically hypertrophy is okay. So like your power sets, and again, some people would, you know, would differ on this, but you're usually in a range, um, you know, one rep, two rep, three rep, four rep, somewhere in that range, one to four reps. Uh, you're usually working in a power, more of a power stance, um, anywhere between, um, I would say, uh, you get from like five to eight, you're more working in like strength zone. Like you're trying to, you're trying to build absolute strength. Mm -hmm. And then when you get above that, um, when you get above that all the way to like, you know, let's say nine to 15 reps, you're more working in a hypertrophy zone where you're trying to overload the muscles with volume, um, which makes them adapt. And that's when guys, yes, like if you go look at, now, volume is really important because if you go look at like bodybuilders and stuff, they do a lot of volume work. Um, so they do a whole bunch of reps on a particular muscle or et cetera. So if you want muscles to grow and you guys want guys to actually get bigger, you need to overload with volume. You don't need to have maximal um, weight with that. It's just literally a lot of reps or a lot of sets. Um, and you can kind of counter and play with those that way. And then obviously when you get above 15 reps, like 15 to 20 or more, uh, those are all, you know, endurance reps. Those are all going to be muscle endurance. You're not going to be, uh, be able to do a lot of weight um, and et cetera. So more in the beginning part of the year, when we go into, during the fall, I think you do kind of an assessment, just kind of, I would more look like how guys move. I would yeah. more do a movement assessment. Um, and then 
you know, really dive into hypertrophy and work in that rep range and kind of work through that. And then, you know, obviously through, as you get closer to season, when you get like, let's say not preseason, but right before preseason, let's say you get around like, uh, I would say not, it matters what level you're at and when your games start, but I would say when you get about a month and a half or even maybe sooner, maybe about two months away from season starting, that's when you, well, I guess I don't want to skip the strength phase. Sorry. Hypertrophy. Then about, uh, as you start getting closer to season, let's say at this point, maybe about three months, three and a half months out, you start doing a strength phase and then you can even wait a little bit closer. It matters when you got, you want your guys to peak too. I've seen guys change this too. Like you got to kind of evaluate when you want, want your guys to peak. Do you want your guys to peak on opening day? Or do you want your guys to peak like a mid season or do you want your guys to peak in strength and playoffs? Right. Yeah. And I guess it matters all about your schedule, right? Like, do you have a short season? Do you have a, you know, a lot of games at once? I mean, how can you manage the workloads, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then you go, obviously, like, again, my advice would be hypertrophy strength. And then you, once you got the strength, like all of the strength, now we want to work on power and the difference between power and strength is how, the time variable. How quickly can I move this weight? So, um, you kind of change things there. And again, you can jump into those only, you know, and when you do power sets, you want your reps to really drop because you're doing a lot more weight, but also too, like in strength phase, you want your reps to drop as well. I mean, well, you, uh, not, you want them to be less than, you know, your hypertrophy sets. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. So when you get to the power phase, you want to get to that spot where you're moving weight quickly. And then also too, power movements aren't meant to happen, you know, in endurance type settings. You don't want to do in a power movement. That's why, that's why like uh, a lot of guys are against, um, you know, and I know that you love it, Bo, so I'm not going to hammer on it, but a lot of CrossFit stuff are a lot of uh, power movements and they kind of do it for endurance. And that's when a lot of guys get hurt. Um, So if you can, if you, you want to stay away from doing power movements for endurance, like snatches and mm-hmm. cleans and things like that, where there's a lot of power and a lot of moving parts, uh, you know, again, your body's not designed to do those for endurance. Um, you know, everybody knows this, like over time, when you do power movements, you get tired. And when you get tired, when you have moving a lot of weight, you know, you're setting yourself up to get hurt. So you know, getting yourself in those, in those ranges and being able to, um, kind of know where you are and where your team are, what your team is and knowing what they really need. Um, and going through those things, I think that stuff's all really important. Um, and then throughout season you want to maintain, you know? And so, um, when you, you want to talk on that bow of, of kind of like what that maintenance, you know, felt like to you, like, what are things for you specifically, if you wanted to maintain your strength and not fall off in strength, like what are things that you had to do, um, for you to feel good? I want to add one more point piece of advice just in that the phase you just went through there. If you are the coach that's in charge of four different things, if you can't outsource that weight room, make sure you're learning, studying, reading something to make sure you're giving your athletes something useful. Um, I think sometimes it's hard. We try to throw something quick together, but we actually might be hurting our athletes. So make sure you're listening to something, learning something, reading something, because you don't want to hurt those athletes. And it's not necessarily your fault because you might not know, but you don't have an excuse uh, to not learn it. So just wanted to throw that in there for the coaches that have a, a, quite a and, workload. And before we move on to, I also wanted to add to, that's a great point. And I wanted to add to that by saying, if you don't know, always do less than you think you should do. Yeah. You know, like you don't want to do too much and then guys get hurt. You'd rather, you'd rather, again, let them do some strength stuff. But again, maybe you're not pushing the envelope. 
And then in that space, you're still kind of operating in that safe zone. But if you start doing, you know, again, something's always better than nothing. But at the same time, too, you don't want to be, you know, pulling all this weight because you want to post stuff on Instagram or make it look like you guys are working all this hard. I mean, at the end of the day, the performance needs to happen on the field. So if you're not sure and you haven't got time to read that last offseason or whatever um, and you can't outsource, I would always I would say do less than what you think you should do um, just to make sure you operate in that safe zone. But anyways, go ahead, Bo, with the, with the maintenance. Yeah, um, for the maintenance, uh, I had – you know, I played at the two different levels, but the uh, in-season regimen at Utah Valley, we were kind of spoiled. We had um, we had a team masseuse, a team chiropractor, a team doctor, and we had um, a weekly ice baths. And so we were kind of spoiled as far as the maintenance goes. I, I actually had some hammy issues, so I didn't hit the weights quite as hard as ma- for, for maintenance. But um, we had mandatory weights still with our strength coach basically on days that we didn't have games. So usually twice a week, sometimes three days a week. And it was a, a lot of the same movements we were doing, just obviously lighter weights because we were trying to maintain. Um, I think my sophomore year, we probably had the strongest team in the country, but we also had a lot of dudes that were banged up. So we kind of changed up some of the routines and we spent a lot more time stretching, um, a lot more time rolling out doing a lot more things to, to loosen the muscles up because I mean, part of that was because we'd get done playing Sunday for connecting flights. We wouldn't get back in Utah till seven Monday morning. And so it was just a lot more recovering from the weekend. But when, when, I, when I got to Sterling, Dinko would let us guys that knew a little bit about the weight room, he'd let us maintain on our own. And so there was probably 10 of us that would go over to the the wellness center there and, um, I'm not a big fan, which I know you were, but I'm not a big fan of hitting my maxes in season. So I'd stay in that kind of strength phase of the, um, the, of, of the, uh, the reps somewhere between five and eight. And I'd make, I'd make sure I had my strength, but I would never hit a one rep just because I knew that's what I needed to do to play. Um, I know some people have different opinions on that, but for me, I would just make sure that I could still stay in that strength phase twice a week and then really just maintaining my shoulder. Um, I, I didn't do a ton of upper body lifts in season. Um, well, besides the bench press, I mean, you guys that know me know I love bench press, but really other than that, I didn't do much upper body. Uh, but once again, I, I was also dealing with those hammy issues that I had at Stern or at Utah Valley. But yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of, of, hitting those maxes in season, um, which I know, I know you would always just do it for what, like, like a one rep, like once a week or something. Yeah. So, but I think, I think this is important to say, like the reason, uh, like, again, I I should have said that earlier, um, as Bo said, I love one rep maxes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's funny. Like when I talk about how I didn't have my guys do it, guys don't understand that. Like I'm, I'm absolutely for one rep maxes Mm -hmm. if you have context behind it, you know? And so um, I think for me specifically, Bo, I think a big thing why one rep maxes were a big deal to me was because I wasn't that great of an athlete. Yeah. So like, it's kind of like, uh, if you, if you guys haven't followed any of uh, Trevor Bauer stuff, like Bauer is always talking about how, like, if, as soon as Bauer stops lifting, as soon as Bauer stops doing a lot of those power workouts, like his numbers drop dramatic, mm-hmm. dramatically his, he's all of his numbers plummet. Um, and I kind of felt the same way. Like as soon as I started losing strength, I was, I could notice instantly. And, and again, I'm, I'm sure some of it was psychological, but with that as well, like, um, it, uh, you know, I got taught a long time ago, like if you 
you know, it's like that old saying, like, it's a lot easier to maintain than it is to build. So, you know, with that, if I could hit, if I could hit my one rep max, and this is how I would do it, I would go in there, um, obviously do my full warm up. Um, and I would, and I was a guy that could always warm up pretty quickly. So when I went to one rep maxes, what I got my body able to do was I'd go in there, I would start with two plates on each side, then go to three plates on each side, then go to four plates on each side. And as long as I can hit within 90% of my one rep max, then I can maintain that power strength. So, you know, I would, I would just hit 405 and then, you know, just like you, Bo, then I would go back down and I would, uh, do some strength sets. You know, and again, not because um, if and if you maintain like that, you know, I wasn't sore the next day. You know, yeah. I wasn't sore at all. So um, I was more sore from baseball when I didn't maintain. Mm-hmm. So it, in sure. the weight room was crucial to me. Um, and also too, like um, being a bullpen guy more when I got higher uh, up, and then you know, obviously like more Division One uh, part, I would I I wanted to lift the same day I pitched because I wanted the recovery to happen. Um, the same, you know, like I didn't want to be recovering from pitching and then lift the next day. And then that puts me behind another day. If that was, you know, if I was to be sore from that workout or whatever. So I wanted to lift and especially to, you know, as a bullpen guy, you know, we had Brady on a couple of weeks ago, you know, like he kind of talked the same thing is, you know, you don't know when you're going to pitch again. It could be the next night. It could be whenever. So you have to lift no matter what. So you just, you know, you need to get it in. Mm-hmm. So that was a big thing for me. Um, you know, obviously the eye fasts, you know, as needed or, you know, massages as needed or, um, you know, et cetera, you know, a lot of, uh, Dixie cups, we used to freeze Dixie cups of water and then you'd kind of peel them away and like, kind of give your, like give you a soft tissue by also icing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that stuff that we used to do, but a big thing on the lifting side, for sure, for me personally, one rep maxes were crucial to not only who I was psychologically, but also to um, the strength that I felt on the field. So yeah, yeah, those were, those were big for me for sure. Yeah. And for me, I was kind of the opposite. I mean, I, I don't know why I just always loved the bench press and lower body. I just had to maintain so I didn't get hurt dealing with my injuries. So I just make sure I was strong enough to where my legs wouldn't hurt from playing ball. But man, it was just my ego would get the best. I mean, I'd have to throw three plates on there once a week on bench where I probably should have been doing that for squat. Um, probably why I had some arm issues, but uh, I, th- I think there's a, a time and a place and I think it's really uh, individualized. You know, I coached some guys at Sterling that absolutely threw right or, uh, weight around the day before they pitched and some dudes that didn't want to lift up bar for, you know, four or five days before they pitched. So I think it's just, you have to can know who you're coaching and have the players understand why they're training. Cause you know, we played with some guys at Sterling that, that wanted to look good for the honeys, but that didn't necessarily transfer onto the field. So a, a couple of different things to take uh, into consideration when, when talking about maintenance. But I think as long as you're doing enough to prevent injury in season, I think you're okay. Um, and then once again, just understanding the type of players that you got. Yeah. And then another side note I want to go in there. And I don't think too many um, again, but I also, I don't want to, I want to just operate within my circle, but I think, you know, back in the day, there was this mindset more that people didn't want to lift in season at all. They're like, oh, they're doing enough work, so we don't want to lift in season. You know, well, what happens is, is obviously when you start, when that impulse changes, like hitting a baseball and playing baseball is a completely different. That's why we also say some of it might not be transferable in that sense. Like, again, there's a lot of studies uh, showing both ways. You know, there's a lot of movements that are transferable and et cetera. But, you know, uh, when you stop doing, you know, working out, 
And I think the argument for this too, um, when people say that some of the lifting stuff doesn't transfer, the argument is this as well. The stronger you are, the less you have to try to do movements that are less as hard, right? So like if I'm stronger, I can try less hard um, to produce a certain amount of force. So while, you know, my 400 pound deadlift might not be, you know, exactly. I'm not like going through a, a deadlift at home plate when I'm hitting a baseball, but when I get, when I'm getting out of my hinge or, you know, when I'm hitting, when I'm getting out of that hinge position coming out of my back hip, um, again, I'm, uh, I have to work less hard to produce force because I can, you know, the more I can deadlift, uh, the more that that transfers into movements that I do on the field coming out of some of those similar positions. Um, but the big thing that I, I, I think about people that don't lift during season or have this mindset that they don't want to lift during season um, is that a lot of times what happens is, again, if you have been lifting and now uh, I want to give this in context before I say this. If you guys know the most dependable catcher, do you know the Bo? Do you know the most dependable catcher in all of baseball? Dependable as in he's going to catch every day. Every day, Yadi's got to be up there. But I don't know if he's the most dependable. Yeah, yeah, no. So actually, um, Salvador Perez with mm-hmm. the with the um, Royals, Kansas City Royals. Yeah, he he's named been named multiple times because he's played. You know, he'll he'll catch 161 games a year. So like, it's crazy, but, but you know, it's crazy though, Bo, he's never, never in the weight room. Really? So, yeah. So when you get guys like that, I think a big thing with that though, is this, there's a difference though. So some guys hear that story and they're like, oh, well, if he's the most dependable catcher, you know, in the whole league, then maybe I should have my catchers not catch, I mean, not lift, but you also take in, obviously have to take in your athlete. Like if you guys, if you have guys that again, like maybe psychologically they need to, they need to do it, or maybe they use it as a flush for their legs or, and everybody's bodies are different. But if you have somebody that's lifting and then all of a sudden you have them stop lifting, um, their body starts to obviously, as you know, you don't use it, you lose it. So uh, you start losing all that strength. And then all of a sudden, obviously the longer you go without working out, the more you've lost. And let's be honest, then the last part of the year is the year that I want to be most ready. Right. You want to be the you want to be most ready in your playoffs and, um, you know, when you're, you're going into the, the tournaments and things like that and you're going to the World Series, you know. So you want, you know, I think that's a big part of it as well is like you got to understand, like, you know, you want to maintain everything that you built. You don't want to start, you know, six steps back uh, when you go into summer and going into the next year. Every year I want to build on what we did previously the year before. So I think that's a big thing as well is, you know, a big part of lifting throughout the season is, you know, we're not, you're not, and it matters what level you're at. And, and again, what your kind of philosophy is on that, but at the same time too, nobody wants to get weaker, yeah. you know? So, um, that's one thing you want to keep in mind and everybody's philosophies on how you don't get weaker. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of data on it though. I mean, at some point you got to look at the data. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you got to listen to the data. You also got to have some, careful, feel. you got to be careful. There's some old guys that don't want to look at the data. You might step on some toes <laughs> right here. Uh, yeah, for sure. They're definitely. And then also, you know, I also want to, you know, go the opposite ways too. There's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that only look at data. You, um, all you guys that watch the office will, will understand this reference. If you remember, if you remember when uh, Michael Scott was listening to his GPS and drove straight into the water um, because the GPS told him to, then you'll understand that too. There is a flaw in data too. Sometimes we look at the data and we look at it as gospel and we're like, nope, I don't need to have any art of coaching here. I don't need to have um, any common sense to look at some of this stuff and say, oh no, this is why the data is reading this way. So I'm not hundred uh, percent. Everything has to be data. Uh, I don't believe in that. There's guys with data that are ruining players and there's guys without data that are making phenomenal players mm-hmm. so there there has to be guys that are in between using data and also using some of the things that have worked for them in the past and having some feel so 
I think that there's, there's both sides of that. Um, but also with that too, there is a lot of data. And again, that if you do evaluate that it lines up with a lot of what a lot of guys feel, um, throughout the year. And, um, a lot of that stuff makes sense. It just, again, just obviously just maintaining everything that we built, uh, during the fall. So I think those are big, those are big points for sure. I agree. But, uh, you know, I think, I think you have those, I mean, what does it look like to, uh, Bo, obviously kind of going back towards that fall setup. Um, what do you want to use the fall for when it comes to like practice? Like what, what, what are those practices? What do you think is most important to go through during that practice time during the fall? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing at the beginning of the fall is setting the culture, you know, um, Sterling, we had a lot of guys that would transfer in. So you had to constantly reiterate and build the culture, especially we had a, a brand new head coach. So we spent a lot of that fall. It was kind of a struggle to, from switching to Dinkle to, to coach white, but, um, that first month we really had to set the culture as far as hitting goes, uh, same kind of way. It's, it's hard because you get a lot of guys that come in with a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different coaches, a lot of different mechanic things in their swing. And so it was kind of more of a progression. We did a lot of non-live reps, uh, things without even front tossing, just a lot of dry reps, basically building the swing over some guys and then get more into T work. And I'm not going to lie. I wasn't great at throwing BP. So we did a lot of machine stuff. Um, probably middle or late of the fall, but I think it was harder for us because we had to really rebuild the culture. And I think coaches listening, if you can't get your guys bought into what you're trying to do, it can be a very long fall. Um, I think, you know, every coach we've had on, they say, you got to get your guys to love to come to practice every day, which, you know, my years at Utah Valley, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't always like that for me. You know, some days I didn't want to go to practice and it made my progression as a player, it hindered it. So um, I really wanted to build something that would allow the players wanted to come back. And I tried to do that as early as I could. Um, Basically from the first meeting, lay them out. This is what we expect. This is what we want to happen. This is what we expect to happen. And then making a plan to allow that to happen by the, by when the season starts. Um, But once again, I, I've only played at four-year colleges, so I don't know exactly how that would look at, at the junior college level. Uh, maybe you can give some more insight into how that was for you at Siskiyou's. Yeah, um, I think it's different to uh, – one thing I loved about Billy is he kind of he kind of knew where he kind of stood. He wasn't a big mechanics guy, you know? Mm-hmm. So when in junior college, it's going to be different everywhere you go. There's some junior colleges I know that are you guys that have some swing gurus over there, and – um, they can really break down your swing and whatever. And Billy was all about reps. You know, every single day we hit, you know, every single day we spent majority of our practice hitting. So that was like a big thing um, in that sense. In my opinion, though, as you know, uh, things that I like to do during the fall, um, I, I, I think that's the greatest time, uh, especially to the thing that's uh, great about high school is high school. You can uh, break, break apart their swings during the summer. So that's mm-hmm. huge. You can use the summer almost like an extended, you know, version of fall, right? Um, and you can break down their swings and it doesn't really matter. You don't have to really worry about winning or anything like that. It's just like, you know what, you know, we're going to spend this fall really breaking apart your swing, getting you where we want to get you for next season and et cetera. Um, again, that's obviously with the guys that are there and not, you know, once you, once you guys get a little bit older, they want to go play in all those tournaments and they're going to perfect game stuff. And it might be a little bit different, obviously, you know, take that for what that is. 
But when you go into fall, again, um, you still have a bunch of time to work on guys and make some big adjustments, add a leg kick, take away a leg kick, add a tip, take away a tip. You know, again, changing some of their timing mechanism, maybe them to go into a tap, um, starting close their batting stance, starting open with their batting stance. I mean, you could change a whole bunch of things. Um, and so I think that that's a big time to make some of those changes. Same thing when you go to the pitching side, you know, again, making a lot of those changes as well, maybe developing a new pitch, uh, designing new pitches, they would say nowadays. Um, you can do a whole bunch of different things. You know, you're collecting a lot of data. Um, you collect a lot of data and you can kind of see the, some of the guys progressions. Um, you obviously have on the weight side, you're gonna be lifting a lot there too, as well. You can be doing, you can kind of put those together and kind of figure out what your game plan looks that day, like that way. So I think there's a lot of those things all kind of all mixed together, um, Mm -hmm. that you can kind of can go a lot of different directions with that. But I think the biggest thing is like, that's the time where you can make some pretty big changes. Um, because in season, those become harder and harder. Some guys can do it. Some guys can do it. You know, some guys can completely change their batting stance in the middle of the season. Um, But for a lot of guys, they can't. So um, that's a that's a big time to kind of make some of those changes if you want to, for sure. Yeah, I think you definitely have to lay the groundwork in a a pretty good foundation. And so you guys have a good understanding. It's easier to make minor adjustments, obviously, in season than it is to go revamp your entire swing, like you mentioned. So I think that the Mm -hmm. fall is definitely useful for that. And like I mentioned before, I think the biggest thing for me as a player was gaining that camaraderie of your team and as a coach, allowing them to come together and, and build chemistry, you know, the, the earlier on in the years they can, I think you'll be better down the road. You know, we've talked with Dinkle a couple different times. We weren't the most talented team in 16, but you know, we overcame some adversity early on in the fall and we actually liked each other, you know, where mm-hmm. that team in 15, man, we didn't get along. We were way more talented, but we didn't get along and we struggled. So think as a coach if we can create that culture and create that buy-in early on at least earlier on in the year I think that'll definitely pay off in the season yeah and to add to that um, a big thing I love and I think you know again like I love getting involved with the community Hmm. so you know I think that brings the team together especially when they can go to places like let that be an elderly home or let that be um, you know going to hospitals or let that be you know going to an elementary school and reading to kids or etc I think the more involved you can get in the community, especially during the fall, that's a great time to do it. Obviously your, obviously, your schedule isn't as hectic. You have a lot more time. You can do a lot of fundraising things. You can do a whole bunch of things to get in the team together. Um, let that be car washes. Let that be um, getting guys together and you know, putting together envelopes and you know everything mm-hmm. else that people do for um, – all of all of that stuff to get some get some money in the door so you guys can go out and purchase those those purchases that you guys want to do with and um you know obviously you can you can try some things out i know i know definitely know coaches that try some things out early in the fall and you have time to make some adjustments to go okay that didn't work like i planned it to work out and um you can kind of change some of those things so i love that part of it um the fall this time of year is an exciting time you know guys are starting to get rolling they got their um, they got their, you know, the speech when you first come in, that first meeting with everybody mm-hmm. pulling together. Guys just started their practices. Everybody's excited. Everybody thinks they're going to win it all. You know, like you got yep. that, that great part of the year. So, yeah, no, uh, you know, the, the great thing, the great thing that we have uh, with this interview. And again, you know, we did that the, during the summer portion and kind of like now looking into the fall and doing those things. I'm happy when we, you know, Bo and when you and I can sit together and kind of mend minds um, and kind of go over a lot of these things. And, um, you know, I'm happy we got to do that, but uh, you know, this call takeaway is sponsored by quality at bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah. It's always nice to take a step back and kind of reflect, have, have a nice little combo with me and you 
What was your biggest call takeaway uh, over what we covered today, Joey? Uh, yeah, I think I think the biggest call takeaway is definitely going to be the adjustability portion and that dynamic adjustability. Of uh, you got to know your guys, you got to know what your team needs, you got to know where, what stage you guys are, how many returners you have, all of those things um, to take in and kind of be, you know, obviously a, a quality coach when it comes to a lot of those things, and you know, and also to work with the constraints that you have. So I think that's the biggest things that we've talked through is just working with our constraints, knowing your team, and knowing what uh, what they need individually. How about you, Bo? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much mine too. Um, my, my, my biggest thing I'd like to say again is just if you're one of those guys that has to run four or five different aspects in the fall, just make sure you're doing your best to educate yourself to give your guys the best opportunity to grow. Um, obviously, different programs have different uh, barriers and different things that they have to fight and deal with. But I think if we come together, you know, reach out to somebody, get get the right information because that fall you know, if you utilize it the right way, can can be greatly beneficial for your team and set you guys up for success in, in the spring. So just make sure you're giving your guys the best opportunity to succeed in the fall and, and develop. So, yeah. And, and that's a good mindset to keep too. If you have the mindset too, that you're not the first coach to ever go through this, <laughs> you know, like there's other coaches out there that have the same battles that you have. And so reaching out to each other as resources, or again, like if you guys have any questions, this is a perfect time to tweet at us ask those questions and we'll get you connected with other coaches to help you answer some of those things. So if you're struggling with something that we've mentioned in this episode, um, this is a great way for us to get you retweeted and we get some guys reached out to you and we get some interaction. Uh, I know there's a lot of guys that, um, you know, that really want to help with that. Or, and I guess, especially too, we have a lot of connections with some of these, you know, you guys will see over here in the next couple of weeks, um, a lot of these, you know, high, high end D one coaches and things that were, you know, used to coach at lower levels and how they navigated through those things as well. So, you know, a lot of those guys already went through that stuff and they can give you guys some great advice. So, and coaches are always, especially baseball coaches are willing to help. So, you know, reach out to us, tweet at us and we'll, you know, we would make sure to share that stuff. And also too, guys, I'm just gonna, we're going to ask you guys, cause I know you guys also need some love as well. Guys, I'm telling you right now, if you tweet a picture of you listening to this podcast, I automatically, I guarantee you, Bo and I will retweet it and the farm system will retweet it. So get you some love in, get you some, you know, again, let people know that you're growing, let people know what you're listening to. Um, and I'll, you know, like, again, we're going to show love right back for you, get you connected with some more coaches, any questions you guys might have, but until next time, farm system out. Ah!